Let us bow together in prayer. Father, thine is the power and the glory forever and ever. And it's that power and glory we want to know right here and now as we open thy word together so that thy kingdom may be extended within our own area and even across the seas. Speak to them, to us then in the stillness of this hour. Give us hearts to listen, wills to obey. For Jesus Christ's sake, amen. James chapter 5 and the 16th verse. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I am burdened to speak to you this morning on the subject of prevailing in prayer. Prevailing in prayer. The writer of this epistle, James the brother of our Lord, was nicknamed Camel Knees. Camel Knees. Because when he died and they prepared him for burial, they discovered that he had great calluses on his knees. He was such a man of prayer that his knees had worn hard. He therefore demands our attention as we listen to him, as he speaks to us on prayer. And I would advise you young people especially to read through this epistle, this practical letter from the pen of James, the brother of our Lord, given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for again and again his exhortation is to this ministry of prayer. Here he gives us a tremendous proposition in verse 16. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And it's interesting to notice that he takes this proposition and then he illustrates it by the life of Elijah, the Old Testament prophet. A good example of illustrative mention in biblical interpretation for those of you who were here last Wednesday evening. Now it's interesting to observe that when we read the Old Testament, there's very little said about Elijah's secret of power. It's only when we come into the New Testament that we find that this man was a man of prayer. We see Elijah praying again and again, but it's not specifically stated that he was a man of prayer. But the very fact that having given us this proposition that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and then forthwith going through to illustrate it by the life of Elijah shows that James knew the power of this man's life. Elijah was preeminently a man of prayer. Prayer with Elijah was a force, a supernatural power, miraculous in its outworking. Now I purpose taking this proposition with you this morning, noting its main points and illustrating it from this Old Testament character, Elijah. The first thing I want you to notice in our text is what I'm calling the ministry of prevailing prayer. Will you notice, please, that it's exclusively for the righteous man. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. And that includes the woman here, the young person here. Whoever he or she is, the righteous man before God. Prayer is exclusively for the righteous man. 
The ministry of prayer is a work that only righteous men and women can do. But I hasten to add three points, and they're these. That the righteous man is defined in this very passage as an ordinary man. Just an ordinary man. Look at verse 17. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. In other words, he was no superhuman being. He was just an ordinary man. With all his accomplishments for God, he had his failures, he had his weaknesses. We read, for instance, of his fleeing in fear from a woman, shrinking in frustration from his prophet's yoke, and longing in despair on one occasion to end his life altogether. There are some of you here who shrunk already from the very thought of prevailing in prayer. You said to yourself, but that's not for me. I can be a businessman. I can be a housewife. I can do anything else. But don't call me to a ministry of prayer. My friend, that's escapism. That's a dodging of the responsibility God would lay upon your heart to pray this church through to revival. It's a ministry for ordinary people like you and me. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. He had his weaknesses. He had his failings, and yet God said, you're the man I want to pray through the will of God in your age and generation. He was an ordinary man. But I noticed something more about him. He was an obedient man. He was what James calls a righteous man. In other words, he was rightly related to the will of God. And if you were to look in 1 Kings 17, 5, you would notice that it's recorded of him. He went and did according to the word of the Lord. And I want to state quite categorically here this morning, anything less than such obedience disqualifies a man or a woman from the ministry of prevailing prayer. You'll remember the words of the psalmist, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Or more literally, if I look with approval on anything in my heart, which is out of adjustment to the will of God, the Lord will not hear me. Tell me, my brother, my sister, are the heavens like brass? Do you feel you just don't break through to the throne room of God? Is there a barrier between? Do you know anything of prevailing in prayer? Let me ask you, is there anything out of adjustment to the will of God in your life? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, said David. And it's true, for Jesus reiterated the same truth in John 15, 7, when he said, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, obedience, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. He was an ordinary man. Yes, but he was an obedient man. But I notice another thing in this chapter about this ministry of prayer. It's not only for ordinary men and women, for obedient men and women, but listen, it's for men and women of vision. He was an observant man. He was a man of vision. He was one of the only men of his day who saw and appreciated the tragic conditions around him. He could look at a king and say with absolute fearlessness, Thou in thy father's house have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed after Baal. And that could have meant decapitation. It could have meant being beheaded. But he was fearless. He could see the canker that was eating into the life of the people. He was aware of the tragic conditions. He was burdened. His heart was sore within him. And he challenged 
his age and his generation. Thou in thy father's house have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and thou hast followed after Baal. My friend, I want to say this morning, if you cannot see, you cannot pray. Jeremiah reminds me, mine eye affecteth mine heart. Mine eye affecteth mine heart. It's what I see that moves my heart to pray. And Solomon warns us that where there is no vision, the people throw off all moral restraint. I said it before from this pulpit and I will continue to say it. We don't blame the chaotic condition of the times. We don't blame young lads for their juvenile delinquency. We don't blame a lot of the squalor and filth of our land today on the people themselves the church of Jesus Christ has failed too. It's because the vision is gone that the people throw off all moral restraint. There is no conscience in the nation. There is no moral rectitude. There are not standards of righteousness. Why? Because Christians have failed. The only object lesson God has in the world of today is his church. And when a man can wake up, work up enthusiasm about games when a man can work up enthusiasm about his work when he can stir himself to action about the lesser things of life one wonders just what touch he has with God when he can see the day of our age when he can look at the paper or hear the television broadcast and not be moved to drop on his knees and pray and say oh God have mercy upon us in this hour Thank God for a president who has called the nation to a national day of prayer. God grant that it might be more than just nominalism. God grant that it might be more than just a stunt. God grant that it might be more than just a day that's to be remembered in history but accomplishing nothing. Oh, that God would call the entire church of America today to their knees in prayer as they move into this week and especially on Wednesday. He was a man of observation. What he saw moved his heart to prayer, to prayer. Tell me, are you concerned about the girls in your office who are not converted? Tell me, young man, as you move around that student body in your university, are you unmoved and unstirred? Tell me, are you concerned about the fact that 98% of the people who come into church are nominal or at least religious people and Christians while the pagan world outside are unheeded and uncared for and unprayed for? Tell me, my friend, aren't you concerned that your parents are not born again? Aren't you concerned that your children are not born again? Aren't you concerned that your wife, your husband isn't born again? Don't you see the need? The acid test is, are you praying for them? Are you praying for them? The ministry of prevailing prayer is for righteous men and women. And it's defined for us here as just ordinary men and women. Yes, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. But obedient, he went and did that which was according to the word of the Lord. And far-seeing, observant, for he saw the evil of his day and it moved him to prayer. But will you notice in the second place, this text teaches us not just the ministry of prevailing prayer, this text teaches us the manner of prevailing prayer. James tells us that the manner of prevailing prayer is effectual, fervent. 
effectual, fervent. How characteristic this was of Elijah's praying. Will you notice that his praying was fervent? We read that he prayed earnestly, verse 17. Or literally, this means that when he prayed, he did not merely say prayers, he really prayed. Such fervent prayer is always in wrought. It's a work of the Holy Ghost. This kind of prayer always conforms to the will of God. This is not something which is worked up in the flesh. This is an inwrought ministry of God the Holy Ghost in the man or woman, the boy or girl who's willing for such praying. God is longing that his Holy Spirit might find a way of praying in human lives. For did you ever believe it? Did you ever know it? Did you ever practice it? That the Holy Spirit is sent into your life not only to regenerate you, not only to illumine you, but to set up a ministry of prayer. He is the indwelling paraclete. He is the intercessor. He intercedes with us, sometimes with groanings which cannot be uttered. But the trouble is that most Christians don't even give him the faculties with which to do it. He wants to pray through the will of God through us, but the tools aren't there, the faculties aren't there. He wants to pray in you and pray in me the whole will of God. Such praying costs, yes, it costs in terms of time. It means getting up that little bit earlier. It means coming to the prayer meeting. It means joining with the corporate body of Christ in prevailing prayer. It means travel. It may mean the lack of a meal now and again. It costs, but spiritually it costs too. But oh, the joy of bringing to birth the redemptive purposes of God. Isaiah 66, 8 is one of the great texts that's burned its way into my soul again and again. It reads thus, As soon as Zion traveled, she brought forth. As soon as Zion traveled, she brought forth. And I'm aware, my beloved friends here this morning, that one of the greatest tendencies of the Church of Jesus Christ is to follow the world in press-button methods. Everything is streamlined. Everything is prepared for speed and ease and comfort. And we find ourselves moving along the pattern thought of the world today. And we think we can press buttons and expect God to work. We don't realize that just as no human child is born into a physical family without the blood and travail and pain of a mother, so no spiritual soul can ever be born without soul travail. Don't you ever forget it. Some people stand and listen to Billy Graham on his great platforms calling men and women to repentance and to faith in Jesus Christ and as they see the people surging forward they're given the idea that maybe it's too easy. It's too easy. It happens too easily. They don't realize that no man in this generation and probably since the beginning of the church has been more prayed for all over the world. Nobody can be born again without soul travel. And if you haven't paid the price, somebody else has. I'll never forget the evangelist Tom Rees of England running a series of meetings in the great Albert Hall of London. 8,000 to 10,000 people he had every Saturday night. And in this particular series, he saw a movement of the Spirit such as he had never seen in any series before. It seemed as if heaven had opened upon him. And hundreds and hundreds of souls came to Christ. There was a grip about those meetings. And somehow or other he couldn't make it out. He knew that people were praying for him. But this was something over and above even his praying force of days gone by. 
at the end of the series, he had a very simple letter written by a leprous woman, eaten with disease, her face not even recognizable, in a leprosarium in South America. And she wrote this letter and she said, Mr. Tom Reese, I read in a magazine some months ago that you were going to have meetings in that great Royal Albert Hall of London, and I know it by reputation, and I could envisage that place full of young people, and I have spent every day and practically every night, though I'm eaten with disease, crying to God that he would break through and meet with you. Tell me, write me quick, how did the meetings go? I never tire of reading or recalling the story of the woman in a little garret away up in London who prayed for D.L. Moody. Oh God, send that evangelist over to Britain, she cried. Send that evangelist over to Britain. And she prayed and prayed for D.L. Moody before anybody in England had ever known of him. He, he didn't know about it, but God knew about it. She belonged to a church. And she prayed that God would bring D.L. Moody not only to London, but to her church. It was an unusual thing for D.L. Moody to go to an individual church. All his campaigns were union campaigns, centered in some strategic building. But, oh God, send him to my church. And D.L. Moody found himself in that church one Sunday morning. He preached with a power and a liberty such as he had never known. And when he gave the invitation, it was almost total response. And he made the people sit down. He said, I don't think you understand what I mean. And he went right through the way of salvation again. And he explained the method of his invitation. And he said, now stand up. And practically everybody stood up. He never seen, relatively speaking, such a mighty response in any gathering in the whole of the British Isles. He investigated the matter. And D.L. Moody was led up the dirty little stairway into that garret to find this little woman shriveled up with arthritis. But a beam upon her face, a glow in her eyes, she couldn't even walk. She could hardly feed herself. She lay there day in and day out, but she had brought the blessing down. Fervent praying, the effectual fervent praying of a righteous man availeth much. But let me remind you, it wasn't only fervent praying, and this is a point I want to emphasize and underscore and press home to my own heart and yours. It was frequent praying. It was not spasmodic. It was not intermittent. It was regular. James says he prayed again, and the word suggests regulated and frequent intercession. And remember, Jesus taught men ought always to pray and not to faint. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. When a man feels like fainting, one simple way of preventing the embarrassment is to put his head between his knees. How suggestive to observe that Elijah on Mount Carmel cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and right there he prayed and he prayed. Let me remind you that such frequency and persistency in prayer always brings the blessing of God. Not that God's mind is ever changed by prayer. Rather, it is that this manner of praying produces such a change in us as to render it righteous for God to do what otherwise would be unrighteous for him to do. God must work along the conditions of his own nature and righteous operations. God must work along the lines of his own principles and first he wants the change in us, not the change in his mind, but the change in us. 
and the fervent, frequent prayers of men and women effect such changes in the lives subjectively that God can do what otherwise would be inconsistent for him to do. Prayer was not only fervent, prayer was not only frequent, but prayer was focused. It was objective, it was specified. Listen to it. The word says Elijah prayed that it might not rain, and it rained not. Elijah prayed again, and the heaven gave rain. Prevailing prayer always attains the blessing it seeks. The very idea of effectual fervent prayer is that it affects its object. So Paul exhorts, let your requests be made known unto God. I wonder if you can seize on a request today and say, I'm going to make that specific. I'm going to go to God with it. And I'm going to see that that object is effected according to the will of God. And you pray until you see it through. Because the Spirit has given you witness in your heart that that's the purpose of God for this church. For your life. For your home. For your witness. For whatever it is. The ministry of prevailing prayer. What is it for? Righteous men who are just ordinary people. Obedient people. Observant people. The manner of praying. Listen. Fervent, agonizing, inwrought by the Holy Ghost. Frequent, regulated, yes, and focused, directed and specific. You say, supposing God brought Calvary Baptist Church into a fellowship of prayer like that, what would happen? Listen to my closing point, the miracle of prevailing prayer. The miracle of prevailing prayer, our text informs us that the miracle of prevailing prayer is that it availeth much. That's an open check. You can put anything in there. Availeth much. Have you ever analyzed the miracles God effected through Elijah's praying? If not, my friend, you read through the book of Kings, for it will more than reward you. Among the many triumphs that illustrate the principles that are upon my own heart, here this morning, I'm going to name three. Three miracles that were effected by Elijah's praying. First, his victory over the power of darkness. His victory over the power of darkness. This was when Elijah on Mount Carmel made an open show of the prophets of Baal triumphing over them. This illustrates how we can experience the glory of God in the face of overwhelming satanic opposition. The miracle happens, my friend, today. The miracle happens today when you and I, when you and I carry the battle to Mount Calvary. And on Mount Calvary in our minds we build the altar of prevailing prayer and cries Elijah did, let it be known this day that thou art God. And I want to tell you young people here this morning and you older ones, you listening over the radio, I want to tell you my friend that when you build your prayer on the groundwork of Calvary, when you build up your altar in your mind on that which was done on Calvary's hill, God always answers from heaven, for that is the springboard of prayer. Calvary spells complete overthrow of a a satanic attack. For listen to the word of the apostle, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Yes, it's the prayer that brings every thought into obedience to the will and purpose of Christ. When I stand or kneel 
or prostrate myself before God and I say, Lord Jesus Christ, in thy name and on the basis of that mighty Calvary act of thine, when thou didst spill thy blood and die to overthrow the powers of darkness, I claim the throwing over of Satan and the revealing of thy glory in this situation. And God has promised ever and always to own such praying. He overcame the power of darkness. He did something more than that. He overcame the power of drought. He overcame the power of drought. You'll recall that this is when Elijah released heaven's refreshing showers upon a very dry and thirsty land. He prayed that it should rain and the rain descended. Surely this illustrates how we can experience the revival of saints amidst prevailing darkness, yes, and dryness and barrenness. Not only can we bring about the glory of God, but we can bring about the revival of saints. The showers can fall. When? When we know how to pray. The miracle of revival happens when our praying leaves its impress upon heaven itself. Elijah couldn't stop praying until the servant came to him and said, Behold, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And you and I mustn't stop praying until we have heaven's witness that there is a sound of an abundance of rain. There's a sign in heaven and in our hearts that God is going to shower down the rain. I've been looking up a few facts. Do you know, my friend, that it was only 102 years ago that revival broke out in New York? Did you notice that? Have you ever realized that? Dr. James Little tells the story very graphically of a man burdened for revival in one of the unique spots of this city where he put up a notice and said, anybody interested in praying for revival, come in and pray. And the first evening he was very disappointed. The next evening a few came in to join him. And so it went on until eventually that little room was packed and they had to get a greater place. And the spirit of prayer grew until they had to get an even greater place. And then heaven began to rumble as it were. Yes, and the clouds of revival began to gather and down it poured. And listen, listen, as a result of the revival that swelled New York, New York, this very city, 102 years ago, a quarter of a million people were swept into the kingdom. Only two years later, four young men in an old school that I've had pointed out in Ballymena, County, County Antrim in Northern Ireland, four young men got down and said, Oh God, we're not satisfied. We want revival. We want revival. Oh God, revive our hearts. And God answered their prayer. And the 1959 revival, which has been celebrated this year, 1859 revival, the 1859 revival celebrated this year, swept right throughout Ireland and leapt right over into Scotland. In 1904, Evan Roberts used of God to bring the burden of prayer over the Welsh people. He started 300 prayer meetings, and I sat on his sat by his side and at his feet for hour upon hour upon hour as he's told me about the movements of the spirit in 1904 in Wales. Oh, how my heart was stirred. I've looked into the face of a man who saw revival sweep a country. And you can never be satisfied with anything less. Those 300 prayer meetings developed until there was almost one great colossal prayer meeting all over Wales and God broke through 
And I tell you what happened there is a story of its own. Over 20,000 souls in five weeks were swept into the kingdom, not to speak of the cleaning up of crime and wickedness and filth and squalor throughout the whole of Wales. It's left its mark there to this very day. You say to me, but can it happen today? Yes, my friend, it is happening. In 1951, seven people, most of them old women, knelt in an old barn in the northern Hebrides of Scotland to pray for revival. They cried to God to send somebody to their church who would bring revival. And in an amazing way, Duncan Campbell was led out of one list of commitments of meetings to go and preach in that church. And in the middle of his preaching, God broke through and an entire audience was prostrate on the ground, crying to God for mercy. And God in his sovereignty began to work in such an amazing way that people got converted in the street corners without even being spoken to. Fishermen out at sea dropped their nets and rowed back to land and appeared at the church with their waders and their southwesters crying to God for mercy. They forgot all about their fishing. They wanted to get right with God. And that revival is still going on in the northern Hebrides. And some of us know about Rwanda and Africa and other places where the movement of the spirit is alive today. Is it any wonder that we're longing for revival here? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But I want to say one other thing and it's this. There is no person who's born again or deserves to have the honor of Jesus Christ in this audience this morning who doesn't long to see people converted to Jesus Christ. Let me illustrate one other point. Not only can we see power over the to victory over the power of darkness, the glory of God revealed. Victory over the power of drought, the saints of God revived. But we can see, listen, victory over the power of death. Sinners regenerated and quickened to life. Here is a reference to the raising of the widow's son. This illustrates the quickening of sinners. Do you remember how Elijah spread himself upon that little life? And he cried and cried in prayer, O oh Lord, I pray thee, let this soul's, this child's soul come into him again. I pray thee, O oh Lord, let this child's soul come into him again. And even as he prayed, the child lived. Even as he prayed, the child lived. I want to say what I early, earlier declared, that no soul can ever be born into the kingdom of our God save by travailing prayer. And I believe boys and girls and men and women can be saved in these services over radio every Sunday night here, just like that. Why? Because God's people are praying them through to victory as the message is being declared. Here then is the ministry of prevailing prayer. Do we really desire to see the glory of God? Do we really desire to see the revival of saints? Do we really desire to see the quickening of sinners? Then let us pray, let us pray, let us pray for the effectual fervent prayer of righteous men and women here at Calvary availeth much. Remember that it's for ordinary, obedient and observant men and women. Remember it's frequent, fervent, focused praying. Remember my friend that it's prayer that works miracles over darkness, over drought, spiritual drought over spiritual death. Will you commit yourself to a ministry of prayer? Will you do so even this morning? Let us pray.
Almighty God and our gracious Heavenly Father, as we bow in thy presence at the conclusion of this meeting, oh, we ask thee by thy Holy Spirit that thou take this message and so write it indelibly upon every heart and life bowed here that no one, no one, not a soul will go out apathetic, indifferent, or unaffected by the challenge of it. God, break into my life and my people's life here today and teach us all how to pray. And to thee we will give the praise and the glory for thy dear name's sake. Amen. This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004. If you wish to learn about our online resources or learning events at the Institute for Biblical Preaching, our web address is olford.org. That's O-L-F-O-R-D dot org. You also may want to benefit from our online video training on expository preaching, which can also be found on our website. Thank you so much for listening.